0: Welcome to the MyCode podcast. The MyCode podcast is a podcast about uh, the MyCode framework, which is a framework on the JVM. I am Sergio Delamo, your host, and I am lucky to be with MyCode co-founder, Graham Roche. How are you, Graham?
1: Good, thanks. How are you, Sergio?
0: I'm fine, I'm fine. It's is raining a lot where you are.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had a lot of rain. The rivers are almost overflowing, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop for another two weeks. So, um, yeah. We're pretty flooded under a lot of fun, some snow as well.
0: Yeah, we have some snow here as well, uh, close to where I live. Not exactly where I live, but in the in the region. Um, but yeah, uh, best of luck with the rain. For those new to the Mycot podcast, uh, we typically start the Mycot podcast with uh, an agenda. So let me get it started. <coughs> For Agenda, uh, I'm going to pass the baton actually to Graham because he's always doing talks about uh, Micronaut uh, in the whole conference circuit. So what's what's coming from you, Graham?
1: Well, coming from me specifically, um, uh, I've recently you know, been doing talks on uh, multi-cloud serverless with uh, Micronaut and Gravia. So, um, in fact, I think a video of that talk was just posted. So... Um, I think that's a really good, effective talk. Uh, Serverless is a big kind of um, use case for Micronaut. A lot of folks using Micronaut in serverless context. Um, And yeah, the conference season is just spinning up uh, early next year again. So um, we'll see. Hopefully I get approved on a lot of talks, submitting a lot of things. So we'll see how it it, uh, materializes uh, next year.
0: We will include a link in the show notes to uh, Graham to talk about uh, MicroTAM Serverless. Um, uh, serverless is one of these areas where typically Java was not a viable option, and with frameworks such as Micronaut that's a big change for us because now you can write like your serverless code also with the, your main programming language. So that's really appealing for a lot of companies um, because, yeah, they don't have like to have different teams. I have the same team with the different knowledge transfer that can be applied there. Um, we definitely have to talk about the uh, startups in other podcast episodes because it's a broad topic. Um, but yeah, if you are interested, check out the the talk in our YouTube channel. This podcast episode will be published Monday, the 6th of December, and we have micro Live uh, Tuesday, the 7th, and Thursday, the 9th of December. So we are doing Micro Live. Uh, we are streaming in tweet.tv slash Micronot FW. Um, we are streaming live one hour Tuesday, one hour Thursday. I'm building a Micronaut application from scratch. I hope you enjoy the show and you join me either live or on demand in our YouTube channel. Also, we have scheduled uh, a couple of training events for uh, early January. We have uh, building secure applications with the Micro framework uh, training course, uh, which is three hours a day, uh, Monday, January the 10th until... January the 13th. Uh, so that's uh, four days, uh, three hours a day. Uh, we are going to cover everything you need to know about uh, Micron security. That's going to cover authentication, authorization, security configuration, JWT generation, remote JSON web key set, all auth- authorization. Uh, flows, uh, LDAP authentication, how to test the security in your application. So essentially, if you are interested in security and who is not, because uh, you normally will have security in your applications, uh, this may be a, a training course uh, which will be of interest to you and will include a link in the show notes. Uh, and the last bit in agenda is um January the 15th, we have a workshop, a three-hour workshop what we call, uh, actually January the 14th, uh, we have a three-hour uh, workshop uh, about testing, we call it uh, Micron Testing Tips and Tricks. I will cover things such as um, data validation, test-specific configuration, how about beam pollution in your test, uh, how to learn about uh, microtest. Uh, how to use test containers with Micronaut, uh, how to test your serverless functions, how to work with the Micronaut HTTP client in your test, uh, and essentially uh, all the tips and tricks that I use daily to test Micronaut applications. So if you are interested, you can join both both, uh, courses, the security and the testing tips and tricks, and have a full week of training or just join the security that's uh, or the testing tips and tricks that's up to you. I will click a link to, to both in the show notes and I hope to see you in, in both. With that, let me go to Level Up. Uh, in Level Up is a, a section where we typically talk about um, tips and tricks in the framework and um, today I'm going to talk with Graham about uh, microdata uh, and uh, we are recording this episode on uh, the 29th of November, which is almost like a week after uh, Micro 3.2 was released. And one of the features of Micro 3.2 is uh, a new minor version of Micro Data. And that includes uh, the support for um, repositories using the Criteria API. Can you explain more or less what uh, that offers for people, Graham?
1: Sure, yeah. So like, the criteria API in JPA is, you know, most folks are used to, I'm fairly familiar with it with, um, when using Hibernate. Uh, it basically lets you do dynamic qu- queries, right? So up, al- up until now, Micronaut data has been like great for static queries where you know ahead of time what the query is going to be. Um, so for example, you know, you type like find by title or whatever, and you know that's going to execute a select star from book you know where title equals that's just kind of statically known query ahead of time but if you need to build up like um a query from multiple uh, different uh, criterion you know um multiple different um from based on use int- input for example dynamically uh then you do need uh, something like uh, a, a, a criteria api Unless you want to do like manual SQL, JPA, QL, string concatenation and munging, which is you know not really recommended and not, not a great experience, a bit of a security risk. So, um, so we did have like a good integration with other libraries that you know did this kind of this kind of thing. So we have great integration with like Juke and JDBI and of course, if you're using Hibernate uh, with JPA, you could use the entity and JPI directly. But with the latest version of Micronaut Data, data JDBC, we've actually um, uh, partially implemented the JPA criteria API on top of JDBC. So even if you're not using Hibernate, you can use that same API to build dynamic queries and execute them at runtime, uh, which is a really nice feature, I think. And a lot of people will be appreciating that. It's been uh, something that they we've been asked for for a long time.
0: Yeah, for many people, the way I like to think about this is uh, if you are building the backend for the typical uh, advanced search screen where you have like an input text field and then you have like a bunch of uh, radio buttons and checkbox, and when you receive that form submission, you need like to create a query uh, combining all these options, which maybe are not present. That's when this uh, criteria API will, will become handy. So if you are using MyCodeData JDBC, uh, which we'll talk more about it now, uh, please check it out. And I think you will find it like a good addition to your MyCode JDBC tool belt. Let's go to the next section, Graham. In the main section, I wanted to talk about uh, Data, but uh, Graham's history with Data Access Toolkit is... So this is not your first rodeo. <laughs> so you have been really involved in, in persistence, right? Uh, for the past decade, I would say. What what's the backstory uh, of your story in relationship with persistence?
1: Yeah, well, so I think um, you know, um, Rails obviously has a long history with um, the kind of repository pattern and and dynamic finders and so forth. Uh, I think Rails was pretty much the first framework on the JBM to bring Ruby on Rails like active record pattern the JVM, right, uh, and it was something that attracted a lot of the developers to um, to Grails and specifically GORM. GORM was the you know persistence technology, and what we did there was, you know, we, Hibernate was pretty much the you know standard with regards to persistence on the on the JVM. So we built a layer on top of Hibernate that let you persist um, and query for um, uh, data. Uh, in a in a kind of uh, active record pattern, you know, so you could do book dot find by title and call a static method, and it would return. And completely dynamic uh, in that it was everything was runtime based, right? So um, what what the way it worked was it would uh, it would basically intercept using Groovy's dynamic features. Um, Groovy being a dynamic language, um, the find by title method at runtime and translate that dynamically into at runtime into a J. APAQ, JPA, or Hibernate query, essentially, at the time. Um, and we built implementations of GORM for Grails on top of a lot of different databases, right? So we had GORM for, Hi- for Hibernate, GORM for um, Neo4j, for MongoDB, and um, you know, very popular uh, probably, the most, I guess three, probably the most popular feature in Grails, I guess, was the GORM, I would say. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. And, um, so yeah, and in the case of the MongoDB, we actually built like a completely clean room implementation of object map object to MongoDB mapping that integrated with the, um, codec infrastructure of the, you know, MongoDB driver and so forth. Uh, so that, you know, we didn't have a dependency on anything else for that implementation was, um, and, um, at the same time, uh, in like, um, uh, you know, around that time, I, I joined uh, Spring Source and um, the Spring team were interested in similar features for Spring, right? So, um, so I helped uh, get Spring Data off the ground. A lot of my name is along a lot, a, lot on the, a lot of the headers of the Spring Data code base as well. Uh, because a lot, actually a lot of the Spring Data code base, the model part especially, is uh, based on APIs that exist in GORM that we have forked over and ported over. So you'll see a lot of similarities in things like the naming with persistent entity and persistent property and in terms of how the model is represented. Um, and obviously Spring Data has become really popular as well. Um, but Spring Data works more or less the same as GORM in that it like, Intercepts the query at runtime and translates it into the appropriate SQL. Um, and at the same time, whereas um, Spring Data was evolving, we were starting to evolve GORM in a different direction. Right? Uh, it started off being fully runtime, and gradually we started doing more and more and more at compilation time. So we we implemented we added like support for um, kind of you know, interface-based repositories uh, that were completely compilation time-based, added more and more type checking, more and more static type checking, the where, d- the where query DSL, which was type checked at compilation time. And uh, so when we started Micronaut, I, I really didn't want to um, add the overhead of the runtime translation part uh, into uh, Micronaut, you know, because it's you, you have to do more computation and so forth, and it's more... Um, more, it's more expensive to do that computation and analysis at runtime uh, and with Micronaut being like compiler based um, we took a different approach and with Micronaut data of basically computing ahead of time during compilation the queries that you want to execute right so that, that's the major difference between um, Micronaut data and, and GORM and Spring data is it'll do all the analysis and type checking at compilation time in a language-neutral way, so it's not tied to Groovy like Gorm was. <laughs> um, it works with Java, it works with Kotlin. It'll do all the analysis and all will compute um, for the static queries that we know about at build time. It'll compute what query needs to be executed. And the advantage of doing it that way, the big advantage of doing it that way, is that the runtime part of mic like, data is relatively small, right? Uh, compared to, you know, you don't need all this kind of heavyweight <laughs> analysis stuff um, at runtime because um, because a lot of it can be done at build time, right? So you, we can do a lot of the computation and type checking and correctness checking during the compilation phase um, and translate your so when microdata compiles your app, it'll find like a repository using the repository pattern and it'll see, hey, here's a method that says find by title and I'll go, okay, that method says find my title. So what we're going to do is translate that method into a SQL or JPL, JPAQL query at compilation time and store it. And then at runtime, anything Micron data has to do is execute it.
0: If I am new to Micron, right, and you want to add persistence and you want to add Micron data, so there is a couple of steps, right, that people will have to do. Like uh, Typically, they will create entities, right? It will be classes, uh, annotated with, uh, we have an annotation called at, at map entity,
1: right? Yeah, so, so it depends whether you're doing JPA or JDBC. With if you're using JPA, then you're just using at table at, at you know the normal JPA entities um, yeah. annotations. Um, but we also support um, microdata JDBC, which is like without any um, like uh, object relational mapping layer. Um, it's a simple data mapper.
0: We have to talk about the difference uh, in detail about those. But uh, so, in terms, the user defines the entities either using uh, JPA annotations or uh, microdata annotations. And then, when you say the repository access pattern, uh, for anyone listening, that uh, typically involves like you create a, an interface where you extend from. Uh, we supply a couple of uh, parent interfaces. One is like called CRAD for create, read, update, delete a repository and we support like I think it's called generic repository which is like a bare bones Um, and you typically in that interface it has two generics right one is the entity uh, this repository is working with and the other one is the primary key for the for the repository right and then you define methods in the repository like Ryan was saying like find my book by author and you know, find by author and you supply and microdata when basically and you annotate the re, the interface with add G D B C repository or with add repository, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um so that you know, for if people are familiar with Spring Data, for example, or have used Spring Data before, um the pattern is almost identical, obviously. You know, because you know I was involved in the how that was designed. So we're taking the the same and also we want to encourage people who already know Spring Data, you know, to find it easy to switch over or learn Micronaut data. An easy learning curve. So it's, it's an easy learning curve if you're familiar with Spring Data then you know um, sure. we, you can really easily get up to speed with Micronaut data because okay. it's more or less the same pattern that we designed in Spring Data You know when I, was, when I was involved in the project at the beginning.
0: So when Micronaut compiles your application it will essentially uh, see that you have these interfaces annotated with a JDBC repository and it will Generate the implementation of that repository that that interface for you, right? It will validate the parameters, and it basically will warn you if you like do like a type or anything like that in the because uh, it has these conventions also. Like if you do like find by title, uh, it expects that your entity has like a title field, right?
1: Yeah, I mean that's the big difference between. Microdata data and GORM and Spring data and so forth that makes it really cool is, you know, if you type uh, find by title and there's no title property on your entity that you're querying, whatever it may be, book or whatever, you'll get a compilation error, right? So in, in Spring data and in, in GORM, those errors would, would uh, manifest at runtime. It's runtime exception. So oh, I couldn't execute this query, you know, because that, that doesn't, yeah. Doesn't compute basically. Um, so we, you know, we're able to like type check um, a lot more effectively, and it works. It also works with projections. Yeah. So if you do a projection, right. you only want to select a subset of um, the properties on, on a particular entity. So you, you have an entity that has like ten properties, and you only want to select three of them. If you supply three properties and one of them doesn't exist, it, the 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 projection will fail to compile um and that's really cool because it catches a lot of like developer errors um e- uh, early and we're and that we're checking the syntax as you type kind of thing um which is which is cool um and i think a, a big productivity boost
0: yeah a projection is something that i really like and i think it's really encourages like nice apis because you can um how does it work? Essentially, you have to like specify like a, a DTO in... in so if you have like with the example that you were saying, like you have like a, a, an entity with uh, multiple feeds. I always give the example, like you have like a book where you have like the description of the book, which probably you only want to show when you are like giving the full details of the book. But most of the time you just want to show like the book title and maybe the author. And you can just like create like a, a, a plain Java object, a DTO, uh, with maybe the book name and the author, and uh, do like a list book DTO uh, and find, and Micro will essentially like uh, essentially like do the select title and author from book, and instantiate the DTO for you, and essentially like populate that that class for you, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Because I mean, ultimately, it's it's a massive massive anti pattern if you're like sending your entire table across you know as a JSON response. Typically typically you'd never want to expose your like actual um, data model directly over REST like that. It's, yeah. <laughs> you always want to and the other thing about DTOs is you can combine them. So for example, you can put like Jackson annotations or whatever on the properties of the DTO to to modify the JSON to represent, you know, because typically there's not necessarily a, a one-to-one relationship between um, the JSON response and you know the property names or table names in your in your da- in your database. So use a projection to select the subset and customize, um, you know, how the JSON is rendered. For example, if you're sending it over JSON or whatever um, as a data transfer object, which is which is really nice and it works really well and it's type safe and for us to compile it, it doesn't work, and, um, yeah, I think it's really it's a really neat feature of uh, Microsoft Data.
0: We have also uh, now that we are talking about querying, it has also like a really nice feature which I like is um, often you need to lo- to send like my getting back to the book example, if you are like creating an API uh, where you are like exposing, I don't know, like uh, allowing users to retrieve the list of books you don't want to return like the thousand rows in the database. So typically uh, you want to return like a, a page. So like, I don't know, like 10, 20 books and uh, give the user the ability like, uh, to know that there are more, right? Uh, so we have this, um, uh, what's the name? It's a pageable interface. Uh, and if you specify that the pageable return type, what does it do? It does like a select and it does also the the count query, right? Or
1: It'll, do, it'll Yeah, it'll do both the count and the select uh, at the same time. So again, you know, if you're familiar with Spring Data, that's, you know, something that it's you know, allowing. And we have an, another parent interface called Pageable repository where you can page data. And obviously um, it'll do the k- kind of database specific. If you're using Micro Data JDBC, for example, it'll do the database specific. Each database has a different way to page data, you know. Um, uh, you know some of them some of them uh, support different mechanisms you know and so forth so that has to be like customized um, and uh, do that translation of you know providing the correct um, offset or you know etc to page the data correctly
0: We have support also for ordering as well out of the box um, I think you can supply like what's the name It's a sort class or even with the directly with the with the conventions right you can say like books order by title and things like that
1: that's right yeah so on the in the methods you know you you can order by multiple things as well so you can um but you can say yeah find by title uh order by author for example and um it'll order them by the kind of author property and um yeah that works really really well but you, you can also supply that ordering by pageable and sort so you directly on the method if you want to customize ordering based on user input you can you know supply that dynamically and that also works of course with the um, new criteria queries as well so you can you can uh, customize ordering of the results um, based on user input
0: One decision that people have to do is so we should play more' it's two flavors right we say that we should play Microdata JPA and Microdata JDBC can you uh, elaborate which is the decision there and and in which scenarios would you recommend going in the one direction and in which scenarios would you recommend going in the other direction Yeah, so they
1: they they're, they're very different models right and um so yeah. Microdata JPA is based on JPA clear, clearly and JPA is a full object relational mapping system right so so if you have a team that prefers to work you know, only in an objects and um, and, you know, don't you know, maybe they're they not familiar with the database or SQL or, you know, that which a lot of JPA developers, you know, are, are not. They're, you know, used to working at the level of Java and, and rely on Hibernate to to, you know, uh, do the database heavy lifting for them. Um, and of course, Hibernate has um, has a lot of you know, history of supporting different dialects and different like uh, lots of different databases, and, and in addition to that, um, you know, it's 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 a full or, ORM, which means it supports lazy loading, uh, proxying, um, you know, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And whilst Micronaut Data JDBC is based on raw JDBC, and this is this is not really an object relational mapping system. You know, it doesn't it's more of a simple data mapper. It's for folks that are, like, happy working with SQL and don't want their SQL hidden from them um, and just want to translate their database results from their SQL queries into the Java object, but don't, you know, want to reason about things like um, dirty checking and lazy initialization exceptions and all those kind. Of, and obviously, in addition, it's much lighter weight, right? So... So you know Hibernate is quite still well, quite heavy. It's you know it, ma- it adds massive weight to the application in terms of the size of Hibernate, um, and even with like native image. So, uh, and if you're like writing as you know a lot of like microservices and serverless applications are fairly, you know, relatively simple and don't need a full object relational mapping system embedded into them, right? Um. Yeah so um you know you can uh quite easily get away with um a simpler model or a data mapper plus your own SQL queries and so forth um and um and the other thing is th- the other thing that's important as well is that j p a encourages this model of having a single entity mapped to a single table in that you know you have. Basically, each entity maps to a single table in your in your. Whilst data JDBC is different, it's it's actually more. Um, we encourage, in fact, uh, that you should have different entities per SQL result or SQL view or database view, or you know, not not just necessarily have a single table per entity. Um, uh, because yeah, essentially, you can um, you can uh, have uh, you know, three different entities that map to the same table and have different, you know, subsets of data, for example, uh, to customize different views or, or the database and so forth. Um, and, and I'm and really embracing SQL because SQL is great, right? And so um, SQL is very powerful and a lot of developers don't like hiding it underneath um, JPAQL and so forth. <laughs> um, and do like working with raw, you know, SQL result sets and all that that has that has to offer. Um, and finally, the other thing is with regard to native image. I did mention it before, but you know, obviously, JD- Micron JDBC is much smaller, you know, much much more efficient, uh, and is completely reflection free, and doesn't use like runtime proxies or anything. So, um, so that you that produces a smaller native image. Um, developers don't have to reason about, like, uh, is Hibernate using Reflection here or Reflection there or Reflection in there? I mean, Micronaut does deal with a lot of that for JPA as well, but it's still un- uh, fundamentally using Reflection underneath the covers, which adds overhead to your application and so forth.
0: Yeah, for me, Micronaut JTA JDBC is the most exciting, persistent story with Micronaut. But, and I personally am one of the developers who who likes SQL. But uh, I don't want to scare people because I I, don't, I think it's true that you can build really applications with uh, because with the usage of uh, uh, JDBC repositories which are implemented for you, ninety nine percent of the time you are not writing uh, like SQL like queries, right? You are like writing just uh, methods with naming conventions that get implemented for you. So I think um, for me what the great thing is that. Uh, if you need to resort to a SQL-like query, you have it at your disposal, but you get the productivity gains of uh, using like repositories implemented for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. People people don't necessarily want to do the grunt work of the simple stuff, right? But but they also don't want to, you know, they also don't want the the ability to be to use powerful SQL features, you know, taken away from them. Um, now with JPA. And Hibernate, you can use native queries as well. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you know, it's it's so uh, so you can you, know, hi, you know, with Hibernate, you can create a native uh, SQL query and execute it and buy the results just the same. Um, so it's not just about you know the SQL queries; it's also about um, you know just the runtime efficiency of how much smaller and com- more compact and and uh, you know it starts up instantly. There's no overhead, um, no, no reflection. Uh, and you know the other thing is Hibernate kind of comes along with a lot of um, kind of assumptions. Um, you know, with Hibernate you have a session, um, which is stateful. Uh, developers often get confused by the fact that you know, if you read a lot of data and your session fills up, you get an out of memory error, or or, or they get they get confused about how dirty checking works. Like, why is my you know. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of like confusion. Well, you know, wh- uh, it's much simpler to reason about a simple data mapper where you just say, you know, insert this data or read this data, and there's no state, right? Uh, data is complete. JDBC is completely stateless, um, whilst kind of Hibernate comes with this notion of session and stateful, statefulness, and so forth, and, and that adds a runtime overhead um, and a memory performance overhead to your application. Um, so, but again, it, it depends on your up. You know, you, you know uh, depends on your use case. Um, like I said, a lot of teams are comfortable with JPA, they're comfortable with the overhead that it, it, it adds, and um, you know they're they're fine with it. But you know, it's it's that flexibility of choice you get with Micronaut Of you know, I I I want to use uh, raw JDBC, or I want to use JPA, but I'm not tied to any single one. And of course, we have R2DBC to DBC as well.
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Uh, Just let me put a final pin on the JDBC discussion. So one of the things that you mentioned is like, uh, uh, typically like uh, micro JDBC applications are more like uh, performance because they have like a lighter runtime. I think that's particularly true for uh, applications that are heavily read-intensive applications, more than write, which I think it's fair to say that most of our applications in general uh, where we need like the performance uh, throughput is because we are have like applications that do a lot of read from the application, and for that use case, if your application is like read intensive, Micronaut JDBC is like a better fit, I think.
1: And in fact, uh, Micro Data JDBC can actually be slower for write heavy applications. Um, one thing JPA does do a good job of is um, is batching up a lot of like inserts and updates into one go and like sending them out. Uh, now Microsoft Data JDBC does support batch and we do we do allow you to do batch uh, where you have to, where you can pass in a collection and batch insert a whole bunch of things. Um a bunch of you know records in one go. Um so it can be achieved. Um it just maybe requires a little bit more thought than with, with JVA, which is like synchronize everything when flush, right? Um but uh having said that for reads you know it's like a 3 3x yeah. three performance you know for simple queries um um because you know JPA has has all of this translation layer where it has to like parse your H- hql query and translate that into sql and then you know um you know uh, the the unmarshalling and binding uses proxies uses the session concept uses um reflection Uh, You know, the unmarshalling from the SQL to the result set to the object. There's more overhead there. Um, So, you know, microdata JDBC for reads is is significantly faster. Uh, No doubt in our benchmarking.
0: Talk me now about the uh, R2 and DBC support. What's the story?
1: Uh, We have a third variety. Obviously, like I mentioned before, we have microdata JPA. We have microdata JDBC but we also have Micronaut data r2dbc which is um uses the same plumbing as Micronaut Data jdbc so it shares a lot of the code base um but instead uses r2dbc which is a reactive um database access uh proposed specification for basically um uh reactively access- accessing databases and it has support for a number of different databases today so there's support for um, things like Postgres, MySQL, etc. And Oracle have recently we you know have released the um, uh, first few versions of RTDBC for Oracle, uh, the Reactive Programming against Oracle Database. Um, and uh, so so obviously you know Micronauts' default server is based on uh, Netty. Uh, so, if you're using JDBC and JPA, you have you have to run all of the persistence persistence logic on a, on a separate I/O thread uh, because it's essentially blocking uh, using blocking communication with the database, right? Uh, for all those queries,
0: that typically involves for people that typically involves adding at ad execute on to your controllers um, or to blocking to your interfaces definitions.
1: Yeah, so you have to be careful. You can. You can, configure, you can configure the whole server to offload every operation, uh, um, or you can increase the size of the Netty event loops to run them all. You know, there's various ways you can you can. But obviously, if you're you know fundamentally it's using blocking I/O, um, uh, which um, uh, in the case of RTDBC, you can essentially run all your persistence operations on the Netty event loop and never block and and scale to a higher number of threads and, and so forth um a high number of requests connections essentially um since and uh you know at the, the database level uh, you know um, non-blocking communication all the way down to the database level so um and uh you you have to use the reactive programming model uh so Instead of CRUD repository, which we, you know, we were talking about before, where you have methods to perform CRUD, we have uh, um, interfaces like uh, reactive CRUD repository that return uh, a publisher for, um, for every method. Um, and we have sub-interfaces of those for RxJava, RxJava and Reactor and so forth where you can return a flux if you're a mono, if you're using Reactor for your result set and transform those and so forth. So you can go fully reactive um, in your uh, application code and um, not block, um, which is appealing if you you know for a lot of folks uh, who want to achieve a certain level of scale.
0: So for our user perspective, it will be the, basically the change that they will have to do is they uh, add a different dependency, right? Instead of adding microdata JDBC, they will add...
1: That's right, microdata R2DBC is the dependency. So um, you just add that.
0: then. Instead of extending in their interfaces from a crowd repository or generic repository, they will ex- extend from reactive streams.:
1: Reactive streams repository just returns publishers for every method. Um, so for example, the count method will return a publisher that emits an, uh, a long num- you know uh, number. Um, and then there's sub-interfaces of the, that interface. That return kind of reactive library specific type
0: so if you are project reactor a flux, and if you are Java three like a uh, single or yeah,
1: a... so if there's more than one result if the, if there's more than one result, you get a flux or like the count method um where there's only one result, uh we will return a mono of the number right a single result uh, whilst find all will return a flux of and you will be able to like collect the result from the flux or do whatever you want um. And yeah, if you're using RxJava, that'll be a flowable and a, and a single, um, etc. For those different um, reactive types.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. And I see like it's like a, an easy gotcha is to forget like to handle that executons properly. So I think if you are like um, using non-blocking APIs all the way, that seems to me like. Um, Easier to avoid making mistakes. Glance through it, and we say that uh, we support native images, but we support GraalVM native images for for every bari- variation of microdata, right? For JDBC, JPA, or R2DBC. So there's, that that shouldn't be like a, a decision factor for users, uh, in which um, flavor of microdata they choose. Uh, we support GraalVM native images for all of them, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. So native image. Um support is added uh universally for all of those. Um so native image has an easier job to do with Micronaut Data JDBC and Arch DBC because uh those two implementations use Micronaut's reflection free bean introspection infrastructure. <laughs> um Mic- micronaut data JPA is using Hibernate underneath and Hibernate relies on reflection. So um so all of the so Magno will register the reflection information for each um yep. entity that you use uh automatically um you know when you for JPA, uh but essentially uh yeah it, it, it ends up working of course because we re- we register that conv- configuration um but there's a little bit more overhead in terms of building a native image the speed of it and and then obviously the size of the resulting image is bigger. Uh, but again, anyway, that's a choice users can make right if they want JPA and they want the extra uh, features that it offers then you know that's uh, you know the extra overhead is probably acceptable
0: do you want to so one of the things that I saw I have seen you talking uh, lately about um, uh, Java records uh, and Microdata do you want to like um, tell people what's uh, yeah what's the story about Java records and what's the support of Java records in Microdata
1: yeah sure so um the uh, so first of all like micro j. p. a is not a a great fit for java records because like i said it's stateful uh so the whole j p. a model is you know based on statefulness and session and that's why you have to you know um you know um uh essentially like um many features are not. Great for records, like like for example, the way lazy loading works with proxies. Um, you know, it has to essentially create a subtype, and obviously records are final. And and um, you know, there's a lot of set arithmetic uh, in associations with Hibernate and JPA that is not appropriate for records. Uh, you can use records in JPA and Hibernate with um, with DTO queries, I, I believe. Um, but to model actual entities, is not great. Now, Data, JPA, on the on other JDBC, sorry, on the other hand, and R2DBC, um, because they're simple data mappers and they don't have the same set arithmetic, and you know, they're not. Um, uh, it's more every entity is essentially just a DTO, um. Then they're actually a great fit for records. So we have support for records for um, microdata JDBC, and RTDBC. So you can define all of your mapped uh, entities as records, and um, we automatically, um, uh, you know, map. You can query and return records in from repositories. Um, but in addition to that, uh, we have. Support for like automatically uh, returning a copy of a record. So, for example, if you save a record to, a database, to the database, um, and the database ID is in the record, it will do uh, return a copy of it using a copy constructor um, pattern, and uh, with the ID assigned. And it works really, uh, really nicely um, with Microsoft Data JDBC. Now, obviously, JDBC doesn't have this, the same, you know. Like I mentioned, um, lazy loading and dirty checking, and all those things that you know uh, you would run into trouble with records using in those in, in those circumstances. Um, so JDBC and RDBC are what we recommend if you're interested in using records.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's really. Um, I think it's really powerful. I think it's gonna. I think they're gonna get a lot of uptake. Uh, I think. Uh, really simplify a lot Java development because we often have like this yeah we often have like uh, the equivalent of our Java recording with a lot of verbosity so I think uh, it's going to encourage a lot of uh, immutable APIs uh, and I think code is going to be a perfect fit for people um, looking to use uh, Java records already and yeah it's it's great um, one thing that you mentioned is uh, so what, what you mentioned there is uh, if you have like a record which uh, one of the fields is the primary key and that's like uh, auto-generated uh, uh, what you say there with the copy constructor is you will supply that primary key as null when you save the record and immediately like Micronaut when it saves auto-generates and inserts this thing it will return you like a copy of the record with the, the ID populated there, right? That's correct, yeah. So that would be the pattern for users.
1: So that's uh, that's how it works. And we have automatic, in Micronauts, Bean Introspection API, which is part of core. Uh, we have support for um, creating copies of records already. Um, there's there a method, might be a nice tip for anybody who wants to use that, but basically there's a method called with value. So you can get a Bean Introspection, and you can say... Instantiate a new record, for example, and you can say introspection dot with value and pass in the record, and it will um, and the property name, and, and um, it will return a, a new instance automatically for you if you need to do kind of dynamic um, record creation without using reflection
0: yeah, I have written it down for a feature-level up tip. I, I wasn't aware of that myself either. <laughs> uh, do you want to uh, mention anything else about microdata?
1: Yeah, no, just, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of exciting things coming up with microdata. Um, you know, I think there's still, you know, a lot of um, innovation to happen in that area. So, like, we're working on, um, for example, document database support and so forth um, hopefully we'll get to release you know early next year and it's something that people have been asking for a long time like can I use Microsoft Data with you know all the different document databases out there um, so so that's that, that's going to be exciting and of course then there's graph databases so there's you know um, a lot of microno Data of course is based on GORM originally <laughs> you know right uh, um, so in GORM had great support for a graph database as well so Uh, Hopefully, we get to reuse a lot of that functionality and introduce um, a graph database pretty soon. Um, So, yeah, there's still a lot of innovation to come with Magnet Data. And, yeah, folks should try it out and let us know what what they think.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. We will uh, come back to that when that happens. Let me uh, thank our sponsors. This episode is possible thanks to the Micro Foundation's sponsors. We have two sponsors right now, uh, Object Computer, which is our ambassador sponsor, and uh, Safri.net, which is our bronze sponsor. We have also uh, several. Individual sponsors, which I always make the effort of reading their names out loud, which is a bit uh, cumbersome. So thanks to Corbinian Balch, uh, Gis, Loisnik, uh, Lucas Morachev, Jim Weiss, Jeff Scott Brown, Danilo Marquez, Edgar Rios Navarro, uh, Goran Erson, uh, Andrew McKee, uh, Balasum Bram, Bramanian, uh, Rengasami, uh, Philip uh, Eisenbach, Hassam. Uh, Mohudin and Jason Schiller. I think this list of names is the most difficult list of names (laughs) I ever read out loud. Thanks to all of them. If you are uh, interested in supporting uh, uh, MyCode, supporting the MyCode Foundation is a great way of doing that. Uh, Visit uh, mycode.io slash foundation to uh, learn more. Uh, And let me go to the content and guides section. I wanted to point two guides today to highlight two guides. So guides are these step-by-step tutorials uh, to create micro applications. One is uh, we just talk about uh, micro data and Java records. Uh, we have the data and Java records guides where we saw uh, a couple of the patterns that Graham just described. We saw Java records being used for map entities. We saw uh, Java records being used for DTOs. Uh, we saw uh, Java records uh, being used for configuration for immutable configuration, which I think is a great use case as well. Uh, we saw Java records being used for uh, objects being serialized to JSON. And uh, the cherry on top of the cake is that uh, all of that works perfectly with Gradvm native image. Uh, you have instructions to generate the native image of the guide there. And the last thing that I wanted to st- uh, point you to, and I will include uh, links in the show note to both of them, is we have a Microdata JDBC uh, guide. Uh, hopefully, this episode piqued your interest about trying Microdata JDBC. So I will uh, point you to a guide that we have uh, to do that. With that I think uh, it's time to wrap it up, Graham. It's already fifty minutes recording. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners anything else before we wrap it up?
1: No. Uh, I hope they enjoy the guides and and yeah, let us know feedback about Microdata and. Um, anything we can approve love to hear it
0: yeah absolutely feedback is um, we have said uh, through the episode but we have a lot of um, community feedback and community contributions and that's uh, I think part of the success of Microt so keep those coming and uh, we see each other in two weeks thanks everyone mm-hmm.